Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Joining me today on this fearsome Friday, the one and only Kendall Richardson. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's good to be back. Uh, always lovely to have you for a fearsome Friday, Kendall. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't like doing them alone. No. It's a bit, <clears throat> it gets a bit scary. It can get a bit unsettling. It can. <laughs> yes. Yes, we don't want that. No, not at all. <laughs> well, speaking of unsettling... Mm. Mm, Today, we're reviewing 1984's deceptively titled Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Please explain. After his confrontation with the tormented Chris Higgins, Dana Camille, in Friday the 13th, part 3, a presumed dead Jason Voorhees, Ted White, escapes from the morgue and returns to Crystal Lake. Once there, he encounters the Jarvis family, Tracy, Joan Freeman, and her children, Trish, Kimberly Beck, and Tommy, Corey Feldman as well as their neighbours, a group of teenagers enjoying the long weekend away who begin disappearing one by one. Despite the cynical, albeit accurate, predictions of film critic Roger Ebert, this instalment of the Friday the 13th franchise was, indeed, intended to be the final chapter. Producer Frank Mancusco Jr. wanted to gain respect within the industry by ditching low-budget slashers, and makeup artist Tom Savini was only willing to return to the series so that he could help kill off his co-creation. The theatrical trailer reminded us that three times before we'd felt the terror, known the madness, and lived the horror. But Kendall, were you screaming for Friday the 13th, the final chapter? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes! Oh, no, this is good. I like this one. I, I like this one more than, than part three, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I think I enjoyed it a bit more. Although, you know, certain certain things and reasons of characters and why they're all there is kind of... Because you're, you're seeing in this film that, you know, this is the fourth time now mm-hmm. Jason's kind of, you know, repeatedly killing anyone <laughs> that comes near Crystal Lake. Yes. Yet these people find themselves there and this family is, is it's I, I don't know if it's their actual home or their like summer home or mm. something. But like, how do you not 
know that (laughs) people in your vicinity are being murdered, Mm -hmm. even though the news is like, oh, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. And then, you know, so we as the observer are clearly more cottoned on to the situation than the people in the movie. But that's that's a horror trope. That's going (laughs) to happen. So, yeah, so I do, I'm like, whilst I think the story may be improved a little bit here, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of characters... I just would like a bit more plot, I think. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, why are these teenagers coming here to the lake, you know? And like, I get the, the whole family thing was great. Loved mm. it. But can we have some motivation for these kids? Like, why is it a long weekend away? Is, mm. it, is, it, is it a birthday? Is are they just, you know, I don't know. They're just there to have sex and be murdered. Like, that's. But then again, that's that's these movies. So I'm, I was going to say, there's your plot, Kendall. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably being a bit too harsh. But that aside, like I, I yeah, I did find myself uh, enjoying this one uh, more than part three. So yeah, well, it is interesting that you do say about you know, have, don't people know about Jason and so forth? Because we know if we're now looking back at some of the earlier films, and because it's a sequel, we can actually look back and take that pre knowledge, I suppose into consideration that you know jason is a myth amongst some i feels mm. you know feels like some people know about him there's definitely newspaper articles and yeah, so forth yeah but if we actually want to go back to part two and go part two part three and now part four those three films collectively span over a five-day period <laughs> oh shit <laughs> okay all right yeah, yeah so we've got part two on friday the 13th and part four ends on Tuesday the 17th. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And during that time, Jason kills 34 people. My yes. God. <laughs> you can't keep a good man down. No. You really cannot. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess we maybe can forgive a little bit for people okay. being a bit naive i suppose Word doesn't travel so quickly back in the 1980s no, there's no social media no social media no internet yeah do kids watch the news do, yeah <laughs> yeah um and so you know i presume that this uh group of kids are here for a long weekend because they yeah. essentially arrive like on a sunday night sure. so for them to be away you would think oh it must be some sort of holiday oh, period yeah, or that makes sense. long weekend yeah uh, that's yeah my, my story i'm sticking to it because no, that's, i love- yeah. <laughs> That's, that's, that's you, your headcanon? Exactly, go, you go, go with it. Otherwise, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do like that you do point out that there is a bit more of a focus on some characters here, specifically the Jarvis family, mm. because the, the teens here, I think, if we're comparing these group of kids to the previous three, have the least motivations, you know, in, in, yeah. in, in this story yeah. for not only being there, but also once they're there and similarly to some of the other entries we really only know about them based on their interactions with one another yeah the way that they're coupled together yeah. as established you know boyfriend girlfriend friends frenemies hookups like there are different combinations here which is actually quite fun yeah yeah you, you know that you've got the different levels and different dynamics of, yeah, yeah. of interpersonal relationships here but we have to do the work to know about them that's to true. learn about them and to figure out what type of kids they are and mm-hmm. for the most part they are actually nice kids i mean we've got 
Tina, one of the twins, isn't presented that nicely because she's happy to sort of move in on Paul. And of course, Paul is just happy to take the bait, so to speak. Mm. But again, these are familiar tropes uh, for, for teen flicks yes. of, of the 80s. But I think this focus on some of the characters, like, again, the Jarvis family, and we get to see a bit more of Jason. I don't know. Like, we see him in a way that we haven't really seen him before, but he's just escalated as a character, I think, Okay. as well, like, compared to, yeah. to previous films. He's, yeah. you know, there's still a human element to him. Yeah. You know, he, he feels pain. He's not like this fearless figure, but mm-hmm. he's incredibly evil. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's focused. <laughs> Determined. Very, very much. Yeah, again, like I said, you can't keep a good man down nope. at all. And so I think there's quite a few reasons why this is one of the more beloved Friday films amongst the fans mm-hmm. and um, definitely one of the, the more beloved sequels. I'm not going to tell you where I sit just yet Ooh. on this one. Okay. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll get te- there. We will tease it out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but predominantly uh, it's, I think, the, the choice to, to make a family the centre of this story that mm. does make it unique, mm. not only within the the Friday films, but just in slashers in general. Yeah, for sure. You know, really, yeah. and also having a child to make it sort of all the way through, mm-hmm. and not just be like a, a screaming victim who will cower, or who will hide, or be protected. Yeah, but does actually step up to the plate. Yeah, you know, like he's quite wise beyond his years. He is, and is vital towards the end. You know, there's a bit of a a red herring, I suppose, with the character of Rob. Sometimes we might think that he might be a bit sinister himself. And then we learn his motivations Mm. and we're like, oh, okay, he's coupled with Trish. So he's going to go to the end, but Mm. he's cut down pretty early, really. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's the story that we've got. Overall, Kendall, how does it fit for you? Does the overall story work for you? I do really love... The focus on the Jarvis family Mm. as well. I do think that's a really cool way to change up the format of these movies Mm. in the franchise. Whether this was going to be the last one or not, I think that's that's really good. And those those characters are definitely given a bit more screen time to the point where you're, you know, you're going. I mean, you're splitting between the teens Mm. and the family, but you get to a point where you start to realize that the teens are literally just there to be offed. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> what's happening with the family? Like, how are they going to survive? But the one thing to that I will say is that I was spending the entire film trying to figure out who's going to be the final girl. Wow. Or who's going to be the final person, right? Yeah. I, That's interesting because yeah. in the previous three films, you've said, as soon as I've met them, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it was split between... Three characters. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I love this. Go, go, go. <laughs> okay, so Trish was mm. definitely one that I was keeping my eye on. I had a feeling uh, something was with her was happening. I also really like Sarah. Yeah. Um, she was sweet. She was so sweet, and I was so disappointed when she died <laughs> because she was such an angel. Yeah. So in these kinds of movies, a girl like her, who's just very innocent, mm. very, you know, just wholesome in a way and and naive a little and just endearing like you don't see those kinds of characters a very often and b usually they survive yeah which is why part of me was like okay Mm. and then just 
because I had Crispin Glover goggles on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with this movie. Yeah. I thought I thought maybe because I remember I remembered you telling me that there was a guy like a final guy mm, in this franchise, and I couldn't remember if it was this film or not. Okay, clearly not. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe it's Jimmy, and because they kind of the way they set these characters up yeah just really gave me that oh is it this oh wait and i liked how that kept me guessing and i don't know if that's ever happened to anyone else and (laughs) i'm an anomaly in the in this whole thing but i kind of like that it wasn't just cut and dry like all of the cast pretty much all over for me i think were really really great and performance wise too Mm. strong yeah very strong there weren't a lot of (laughs) There weren't a lot of moments where I was like, hmm. "That's your your reactions are wrong, or, <laughs> yeah. or your your delivery on the dialogue is is off." Like, it didn't happen too often. I mean, there was maybe one time when Trish was screaming, and it was a bit much. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, also just to speak towards the end of the film quickly, yeah. Uh, just the decision of when they realize obviously Jason's there, Jason's killed Rob mm. and Trish runs back to Tommy in the house. And yeah. Instead of getting in the car and driving away, <laughs> they reckon a couple of nails will do it. I'm like, that's oh, the trope. Yeah. You know, it's fine. It's fine. We can't make it too easy on them. No, yeah. no, no. Gotta yeah. keep them around. Well, so. you're right. Last time I did flag that we had Jason's most famous final boy. Mm. And we do have a final boy. Oh, we technically do, don't we? we? I completely... (laughs) There's a final girl and a final boy in this one. First time. First time. We have two two people who survive. Yes, yes. So our final boy is Corey Feldman as Tommy Jarvis. Yeah. Tommy, who is very talented at making masks and is good with his hands and is very creative and he uses Mm. his creativity literally on himself at the end yeah I a bit of a that. throw to part two yeah with the psychology there yeah yeah and rightfully named after um makeup superstar tom savini oh <laughs> bless i love that which is gorgeous that is i think gorgeous. Yeah. but yes kendall your thoughts on uh, Corey feldman as tommy jarvis well look i <laughs> I, I see the name Corey Feldman. I know I'm in for a good time. Yes. Especially if it's an 80s movie. Yeah. And so clearly this was made either just before Gremlins or around the same time. I'd be I the, around the same time because they're both yeah. released in 1984. Yeah. I think this movie was released first. But I, okay. I can't for the Off life the of me of tell you That's okay. which, which was made first. But this is a more prominent role for him. Definitely. And it is the beginning of his incredible run of 80s movies oh yeah yeah yeah. bam 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 hit after hit absolutely with him yeah so I loved his performance here Mm. I really like I I was just enjoying the fact that he was into practical effects and mask making and stuff I never for a second considered it was like a you know laying the seeds for the the finale mm. like i didn't consider that at all oh, great. um and i part of me was concerned and i was wondering like are they gonna kill a kid <laughs> is this this kind of movie <laughs> and oh and then i was like are they gonna kill the dog because <laughs> i won't stand for that but i think he got out alive I yeah know. well just jumped, to, jumped just, through the window at the end well yeah, jumped or pushed yeah, pushed, maybe pushed. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the, uh, that's the unsettled debate. Yeah, if oh. Gordon jumped or he was pushed. <laughs> Ooh, okay, yeah. it's controversial. I was really glad to see that he made it out alive. Yeah. 
I get the referencing of part two mm. with that whole, like, you know, Ginny impersonating, you know, Pamela. Yeah. And doing that whole thing. Like that, which that was great in number two. And I love that. Here, it's so curious that Tommy would go, I'm going to make myself look like Jason's younger self. Mm. To uh, to what end is what I was curious at. Like, yeah. is it... Was it just a distraction technique so Trish could take the shot and take him out, maybe? Mm. Was he trying to connect with him in some way to murder him? Or, like, I don't know. Yeah. I was, I, and I was like also wondering why did he think that would work? Yeah, true. Very perceptive yes. of him to kind of make that decision, but I really liked it. And the fact I was not expecting him to go full. <laughs> Hammer and tongs of that machete at the end. That Absolutely. Was, and I was, it was curious as to why, why Trish was just yelling out his name repeatedly. Like, and she wasn't using the word stop or anything. No. Uh, maybe she was just in shock because she's watching her little brother yeah. massacre this yeah. big man. So really, really interesting that he, yeah, he's, I really liked his character. He's probably, mm. oh, I don't know, maybe my favorite character in the film, but one definitely up there. Well, one of the good things about Tommy and, and definitely Corey's portrayal of mm. him is that he feels like a real kid. Yeah. So one could argue that Tommy is quite extraordinary because let's pretend this is not a Hollywood movie, right? The the masks he's made are absolutely phenomenal. I know. That that's is talent insane. for somebody who's what 10 11 years old right yeah yeah that's incredible Blew so he's got this really creative outlook on things very true and one could argue because his parents are divorced he's you know had to be the man of the house for example because again we know he tinkers really well he's happy to play with the car to fix it yeah, um, yeah. When, when it breaks down mm-hmm. and yeah, it just it feels like he's very wise beyond his years because he's had, had to, to be. be yeah. And also, if the Jarvis family live in this vicinity, and I'm I'm sensing they actually it seems do. Like a, yeah, it seems like a home more than a holiday. Yeah. yeah. You know, they only have each other. Yeah. Which, for a young person, would be incredibly boring, especially for someone, say, like Trisha's age. Yeah, true. But even for Tommy, not to have children his own age to really hang out with i'm sure there's a school you know i'm sure they go to school nearby oh, yeah. and so forth yeah. but in terms of just oh it's a weekend or a long weekend like, i'll you... invite friends over that doesn't seem to be an option for them the house next door is empty hence these kids are sort of renting it or staying there or maybe yeah. it's their holiday house or mm-hmm. someone's holiday house as you pointed out we don't really know yeah. the circumstances they just rock they up just, yeah, yeah. And, and you know the Jarvis family are expecting them because yeah. there is a mention of these kids coming mm-hmm. beforehand mm-hmm. so uh, yeah it's it's in some degrees Tommy is extraordinary yeah. and in others he's ordinary that's a difficult balance to get right mm. when you're writing children yeah. and child roles but yeah. I think they do really well here because one part that we see that he is acting like any prepubescent boy is when he's trying to go to sleep and he (laughs) notices Paul and Samantha in the window. And that's just, there's just something very innocent about these giddy reactions. Yeah. (laughs) To, to, to see, you know, Samantha take her top off. Her back is to him, but you know, he's, He's like, oh, what is this? Wow. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and we see that repeated when all the kids are skinny dipping in the lake. Yeah, yeah. Like, there are moments like that that are incredibly pure. Mm-hmm. Even 
when he takes Rob upstairs to his bedroom. Yeah, that was sweet. To show him the mask, just yanking him forward. And, you know, Tracy's like, what, what, what's going on? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> uh, but that's really sweet because, you know, kids get excited about new people and they love to show off at what they can do because they've made a friend. And I think especially because Rob is an older male, mm. he's there's a significance there. Yeah, sure. Um, we get that Mr. Jarvis isn't estranged from his family because at the very beginning there's a bit of talk about the father and it's not in a negative way. And that Tracy's also, you know, suggesting that Trish should... You know, oh, yeah, call dad or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's, you know, keep dad in the picture. So yeah, okay. that Tracy still obviously has feelings for him. They're separated. They're divorced. But it wasn't bitter. Mm, okay. So, again, there's just little hints of depth uh, yeah, for yeah. this family specifically, which, you know, is, is unique. <laughs> right? Especially in a film like this. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm with you on Kimberly Beck as Trish. I really like her. Yeah. And if anything, I think out of... The final girls before her, mm-hmm. I think she's the most consistent. Mm, very true. And I feel like overall, she's the the stronger performer so far. Definitely, I think. Um, I agree. I absolutely adore Kimberly Beck. I think she is fantastic in yeah. this film. Yeah, she was great. And and great. and again, feels just really natural. Yeah, there's beautiful moments of awkwardness again mm-hmm. when she's at the lake and. And Doug's saying, oh, you know, come in for a dip. And she's like, oh, I'm overdressed. And because her main concern is protecting Tommy from, mm. you know, <laughs> from seeing what he shouldn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's lots of lovely moments like that. And how protective especially she is over Tommy is just really sweet. It's very sweet. Yeah. 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 Especially because she's so much older. Yes. Than, than he is. Uh, it's really, really nice to, to establish that early on, the bond and relationship yeah. between them. Um, but yeah, she's she's phenomenal. Like, I really, yeah, really, really enjoyed watching her performance. Just, there was no overacting really no, at all. No. Like, she was just, just on point with every, every bit of dialogue she had and mm. no, yeah, just no weird reactions from her. Um, <laughs> yes. for, and I think apart from the fact that I'm, you know, they didn't get in the car um, and went back in the house. I was genuinely really engaged with her confrontation with Jason. Oh, it was so well played. Yeah. The third act is Very really good. solid. I yeah. really liked it. Like a lot of it, like, yeah, like I said, some of it is, yeah, cheesy, typical horror stuff. <laughs> exactly. But Go upstairs. Over, yeah. <laughs> Dumb. Yeah. Um, but like, apart from that, I'll, you know, there's, there's not really many moments where I'm like, questioning things or I'm concerned about things. I'm mm-hmm. just kind of right there in the moment and the the kind of fake out that you think maybe Rob's going to be okay and then he, because he's like, he's the man, he's there because, you know, yeah. of his connection to, you know, uh, is it Sandra? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's really fascinating and so you think he's going to be a major player and then he gets off to so, yeah. you know, not so soon, but, you know, you think he's going to last to the end. Absolutely. And yeah, it's um, it's it's really good. So, and she just, yeah, she just nails nails it, the whole thing. I love, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I think she's fantastic in yeah. this. Yeah. I also like Joan Freeman as their mother. Tracy yeah, Jarvis. yeah. I was disappointed that she she met her met her grisly fate when she did because yeah, yeah she was a, she was a nice mum, um, good kind of rapport 
Um, Absolutely. With Trish uh, on screen, you genuinely believe they were mother and daughter. It's great casting, isn't it? Very good casting. Yeah, like the casting it, around this film, yeah. on point. On Just point. even aesthetically, you believe yeah. they're a family. Yeah, <laughs> really, really do. Yeah, I really liked it. And I swear I've she's got one of those faces. I feel like I've seen her in something before. Probably have. <laughs> yeah, she's got a very motherly face. She does. Yeah. She yeah. does. But no, she was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got the protagonists. Yes. That is the Jarvis family. And if you've got a protagonist, you need to have the antagonist. <laughs> Our main man, Jason Voorhees. Yes. This time played by veteran stuntman Ted White. Okay. Your thoughts on Ted White's performance <laughs> of Jason Voorhees. Great. Yeah. yeah. Another, another great intimidating uh, performance as mm. Jason I mean, different actor again, but, um, but you know, consistent mm. from every other film. Very imposing and very physical. Jason was very, very physical in this one, Yeah, I felt. I don't know. I don't know about if, that, if, that, if I'm sensing that correctly or not. Just I think you are. Again, especially, yeah. to, especially towards the end. And I think he had a lot of, like, gusto, a lot of energy yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, like, you know, for example, we even have Terry's... Murder in silhouette as she's about as she's getting on the bike, mm. but you can even though it's like a shadow, you can still see this immense force Go, yeah. that he impales her. Yeah, um, yeah and yeah. that's just one example because there's a lot of murders in this movie, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. But so many of them are done with aggression. Yeah. If anything, I think all of them are done with this really intense aggression. Definitely. Unlike what we've seen before. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like in the previous films, the, like the slow motion kills mm. or the like, you know, in, you know, part three with the harpoon. Yeah. You know, that's completely different. You know, he kills from a distance, but, um, but yeah, no, he's, you know, he's crushing people's, skulls in yeah getting the knives right up and just hammering them in like you mm. know and it just it's very and you know going through a freaking boat and up to a person <laughs> now. yeah we've, we've upgraded from a bed to a boat uh, absolutely in that sense so yeah yeah he's a lot more brutish this time and i'm curious to know mm. the if there's any kind of backstory about the decision to take the the hockey mask off yeah. at the end and actually show him like was that probably because they felt it was going to be the last one and they wanted to like show him what he looks like now I think so yeah. and I think also there continues that tradition of the unmasking of Jason because he sort of always loses his mask yeah, in the true. previous two films also when we think about how Jason dies it's kind of necessary to yeah. have the mask off. Very true. Because it's a, yeah, it was it, gruesome. It's yeah, the way it's it's protecting him in some regard. That's also. true. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. His his demise, I think, is absolutely phenomenal. It's great. Oh no, my it's great. Gosh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. And this is why Tom Savini is here. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. yeah, like uh, to by memory of what I've read, he was never a big fan of how Jason became what he became he mm -hmm. had created jason's look for that dream sequence in part one for him jason was never alive it was always a dream yeah um there was no so for him jason being in part two part three did not make sense did not want anything to do with them but the invitation to kill off his co-creation yeah was too good to resist and <laughs> because it's tom savini he's always upping the ante yeah clearly um, so it looks gorgeous but i think yeah. also on a symbolic level, that mask comes off. Mm. So it's 
literally facing your fear. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also a reward for the audience. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think so. And I think that probably speaks to why they linger on it. Because, like, mm. usually in oh, some of, you know, similar movies that have an unmasking or something, mm. you don't, either don't see it. Yeah. Or they don't, it's like a split second kind of thing. Yeah, it's a glance. But it was, this was a bit more lingering. And I loved the way Trish reacted to it. Yeah. Like, she was, you know, she, when he had the mask on, like, she was afraid, clearly. She was fighting for her life. But mm. the way she kind of recoiled in fear when she actually saw what he looked like. Yeah. I thought that was really a good choice to do. Yeah. yeah. And it's also one of the reasons why Kimberly Beck is absolutely amazing. Again, she feels so real. You believe her terror. You do. She's not one of these characters who's like, okay, I'm fighting for my life. Now nothing can stop me because I've got this much adrenaline in me. No, she's genuinely scared all the way through Mm -hmm. like a real person and we see that again with Tommy with his confrontation when he calls Jason over and Jason's approaching we see Tommy's fear because this boogeyman is literally coming up to him and you can see in Tommy's eyes you can see uh, the cogs turning right oh is my plan gonna work (laughs) (laughs) what do we do now type thing um yeah it's wonderful the dynamics are fantastic Mm -hmm. ted white gives a brilliant performance Uh, amongst the fans he is highly revered Mm -hmm. for a lot of people he is their absolute favorite Um, and i definitely hold him in high esteem i think he's fantastic in this yeah i love the look of jason mask on mask off i love the fact that he isn't just this unstoppable killing machine he does have his own little setbacks Mm. with confrontations with with different people and Mm. you know the fact that trish does that chilling slice between the fingers (laughs) that was a that was a good effect it looked great yeah um i you know I, i love this but again you know when he's up against rob for example like Rob's no no match for him, yeah, you know, yeah. and we don't expect that of Rob, especially because no. Rob is there with a motivation. So for those who have seen Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, might remember the character of Sandra played by Marta Kobar, and so she was shish kebabbed in yeah. the bed with yeah. her boy- boyfriend. Because let's face it, you remember these characters more by how they die and not what they did while they were alive, right? Yeah. So he's playing her older brother, Rob. So, you know, she's died a few days earlier Mm -hmm. and he's like, no, I'm I'm getting this guy. Yeah. You know, so, you know, he's done a lot of research in a limited amount of time. Mm. We have to accept that. Yeah. Um, But your overall feeling on um, E. Eric Anderson as Rob. Yeah, I liked him a lot. Mm. I thought he was great. I would have really liked... Uh, maybe a little bit more fleshed out, mm. a bit more time with him. Yes, I think before his untimely demise. But I really love the fact that they brought someone in connected to something from a previous film mm. in a different way. Yeah, that they hadn't really done before. Even though, yeah, you do have to suspend disbelief a little bit. Yeah, because I'm like going back to my argument earlier on of <laughs> how do how do the, these people not you know <laughs> not know that there's a killer on the loose sort of thing. To you know, for him to be like, oh, okay, but then again, I suppose he would have been contacted if yeah. his sister's dead and knows where it is. So that's you can kind of go, okay, that's fine. But yeah, I really do like his introduction and 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 just I just wish they kind of yeah had spent a bit more time with him. Uh, although I did really like the connection between him and um, uh, Trish. Yeah, I thought they had a nice kind of thing going on there. Yeah, it's lovely rapport there. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was really gorgeous. So, yeah, disappointed to see him kind of 
be killed off quite easily. Yeah. Because uh, I, you know, I get like it's it's all the story and, yeah. and you know people either stay alive or they die to serve the plot or to serve Jason. Absolutely. Really. But I, when I was watching Trish flail underneath Jason in mm. the final act, and I'm like, but but. But she, <laughs> she's not she, there's no way she's stronger than Rob <laughs> I mean I, I don't well, know different circumstances and Jason's a bit more know. worn out by this stage I suppose that's and, true it's and the he, end of the movie yeah and also um, Jason is trying to strangle her whereas with Rob he had a weapon and did true. have an upper hand and it was darker in that basement as well very so, good point you know circumstances yes. um, did assist Trish that's very um, true you know but uh, I suppose she had that adrenaline pumping through her because Definitely. She knows she's got a baby brother to look after, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. No, no, you're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one of Eric Anderson's final words as he's being murdered mm. are, he's killing me. He says that a few times as Jason is hacking at him. Really? Yes. Okay. I didn't. I don't know if I heard him say that. I oh, thought he okay. was telling Trish to run. Yes, he did both. Okay. He was like, Trish, run. He's killing me. He's oh. killing me. Run. Like, it's something along those lines. Okay, right, all right, all okay. right. Okay. So, him saying, actually saying he's killing me. Yeah. Silly or scary? Oh, well, considering I didn't even notice it. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I must have, I think, because the music was very heightened at that yes. point. Yes. I think maybe I kind of must have missed it amongst his, you know. Yeah, because it's all there's a lot of shouting and noise there's going on. There's a lot of noise happening, yeah. so I think I missed it. But yeah, that is a good point. It kind of it depends. A line like that in a film like this, mm. it depends on how it's presented. It depends on the context. It depends on the tone, the way it's being said, yeah. the, why it's being said. Here, though, uh, now that I know that he was saying that, it seems. It does seem more silly than scary. I yeah. Think. yeah. Look, Kendall, I will say I am in the vast minority oh. who actually thinks it's scary. Oh. Yeah. So whenever you read about this particular scene, there is always discussion that it is actually hilarious that he says he's oh. killing me. And okay. so, yeah, the director's intention Mm -hmm. so joseph zito's intention for having rob say these words he's invoking a real life story of somebody who was murdered in the city who said you know get help um you know i'm being killed um and no one came to her assistance and so he's sort of evoking that consciousness okay of, of being murdered and for me like i get it and i actually find it scary yeah but again i am in the vast minority who thinks that because even at screenings, the director went to different screenings when this film was playing in 1984 and without fail, audiences would laugh. And that's how he learnt that scene does not work. And whenever it's discussed four decades on, people will always find it humorous, but I, I get it. Yeah. I don't know. Like I I get it, but I feel like I'm the only one in the world. (laughs) Who gets it? So you're, uh, even though you, know, you didn't quite hear it in the film, yeah. just reflecting on it now, yeah. um, you've gone, oh no, I think that's a little bit silly. Yeah. You and millions of others can all agree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But that the fact that he's drawn on some yeah. real, real life event, that's kind of chilling a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But mind you though, you don't 
you shouldn't have to know that for it no. to be effective. Do you no. know what I mean? And the people that are watching this movie are not going to watch no, it. No, no. But for me, that scene, like, that moment always worked for me. Okay. Um, I don't know why. Like, I... Uh, yeah, I don't know why. Maybe I just take Jason films too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm the first to admit that they're B-grade popcorn fun. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe in the moment, I'm just so caught up. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. You talked about um, the character of Sarah, Barbara Howard. Yes. Uh, before, and how she may have been a final girl. So if, <laughs> if you were putting money down, you may have put a few coins on her. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can absolutely see it because, you know, there's a lot of characters in this film Mm. and a lot of them are on a very even playing field especially Mm. the kids um, who are next to the driver's family and yeah again Sarah feels like a real character the moment that I think she feels exceptionally real is when she's talking about her inexperience with boys Mm. I love the awkwardness there yeah and when she's with Doug on the couch and yeah. they're talking about which bunk bed to sleep in. I was sweet. Oh my God. Was having like, not, I don't want to say flashbacks. But like, <laughs> I not to get too revealing here on this podcast, but I was like, she, in that sense, at, you know, when I was in my late teens and, you know, exploring mm-hmm. things and doing things you never done before. And I was very similar to her Yeah, being very like, kind of you know walking around the words <laughs> yeah absolutely you know like trying to find a way to communicate it without communicating it yeah if you know what i mean absolutely so i'm those that really just brought me back to my late teens early 20s <laughs> yeah so much i related so much and that's probably why i, I liked her her character i think too mm. part of it at least that was yeah she's very sweet yeah i re- really like sarah and she's got a lovely friendship with Samantha Mm. played by Judy Aronson and again they're they're probably you know they're they're yin yin and yang aren't they definitely but they get along really well and one has a reputation and one doesn't (laughs) maybe one wants one (laughs) yes but there's there's again their dynamics tells us a lot about them as individuals definitely based on how they interact with one another Mm -hmm. and once again feel incredibly real I think just having this conversation with you, and because I know I keep harping on how believable these characters are, I think it actually says a lot to the strength of the writing of the film. Definitely. And I know that these are the type of films that don't get a lot of credit for their writing. No. But Barney Cohen, who has written this, has put in little details. He sprinkles details mm. about these characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's what they say. It's how they react. And yeah. it's what they do. And it's yeah. what they don't do. Yeah. And what they don't say half yeah. the time as well. Mm-hmm. You get so much about them. Mm. And that's actually really very, clever. Very clever. And difficult to achieve. Yeah. Especially in a film like this where we, you know pay our money just to see people getting hacked and have that fun roller coaster ride of emotions and thrills that yeah. you get with with slashes like this but again we, we learn a lot about these characters yeah, yeah. based on their dynamics yeah I yeah I, I absolutely agree like what it doesn't give you in terms of 
an overall plot mm. and reasons for being there yeah. and all that stuff. It really makes up for with its character interactions and it's it's telling a story through these people. Yeah, absolutely. Really. Like that's where the plot kind of lies, I guess. Yeah, in, and, in look, a way. and a lot of these characters, the kids especially, are just, you know, two-dimensional archetypes, cardboard yeah. cutouts. Yeah. But I still think that there's effort there. Yeah. To to make you care about them. Definitely. And, and I do care a lot about I you do. know for for a lot of these kids here. I, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like one of the other characters who doesn't really have a lot to do, but I think is is, is a really fleshed out character, at least within the restrictions that were given, is Doug, played by Peter Barton. Mm-hmm. So the man that Sarah eventually gets. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a little bit of trivia for you, Kendall. Okay. On Peter Barton. So he was in a TV series called The Powers of Matthew Starr. Okay. And his co-star was Amy Steele. Oh, no way. In that TV series. <laughs> so that TV series ended. It like had gotten cancelled. Mm-hmm. And... Friday the 13th, the final chapter was floating around and he didn't want to do a horror movie because he'd made a horror movie called Hell Night in 1981, hated the experience Um, and didn't want to do another horror movie. Fair. Amy Steele convinced him to do a Friday the 13th film and that's why Peter Barton is in this movie. Oh, (laughs) That is fantastic. Yeah, so I thought that was quite sweet. Yeah. Again, you know, we don't see a lot of Doug, but we get elements of his personality, particularly how respectful he is with Sarah, like how he courts her originally by saying, oh, I'll walk with you to the car. Yeah. And I love that she rejects the offer mm. because she's too shy. She wants, she, you know, yeah. is clearly attracted to him and wants to, yeah. but she says no. I like that they did that. Me it's too. actually a slow burn to it their is. relationship. It is, yeah. That did not last long, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's... Cut tragically short. Yes, we're, we're, we're in the genre we're in, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I like that they didn't rush it mm-hmm. into anything. There was yeah. something quite tender about their interactions, which was really quite sweet. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, Doug's Kill is one of my favourites. You, me too, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's the gender reversal of Psycho. Yeah, <laughs> shower scene. Yes, we have a pretty boy, and an incredibly pretty, pretty boy. Oh my God. Yes. Stunning. Absolutely, which is the point, you know, yeah, of having yeah. this gorgeous man. Yeah. Um, Cop it in the shower. Yeah. You know, and again, we get to see elements of his personality, how tender he is with Sarah. I love that. Um, how he's singing this really goofy song yeah. quite badly yeah. because he's so, so happy, happy and he's in Aww. heaven, are Aww. his words. Yeah. A bit of a premonition that he it's where he's going to go. He's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then when Jason arrives in the bathroom, so he can only see a very blurry outline and silhouette and he thinks that it might be Paul. And then we see another side of his personality joking around. Oh, yeah. I dropped the soap. Come in. I, like, all you need is a few lines and you get a fleshed out character. Yeah, it's well done. Yeah, and Doug's just gorgeous. Like, he's actually quite a sweet guy. Someone, yeah. again, who's, you know, quite handsome and, and all of these things easily can be dismissed as the joke. Yeah. But he isn't. No. And if anything, Paul is the one who is more jokish. Yeah. But yet, he's one of the goofy boys. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a moment where he imitates the Three Stooges, for example. Yeah. No one cool does that. <laughs> I used to do that. Yeah. <laughs> 
But uh, what did you think about Alan Hayes as Paul? Yeah, I, I, I did enjoy his performance as well. I kind of was a bit annoyed with his uh, dalliances with the different women going on <laughs> when it seems like him and Samantha have a thing. Yeah. But then he starts hooking up with one of the twins and it's like, what are you doing? And yes. she's getting pissed. And but it says maybe something about the relationship that you know she yeah. got annoyed and left. There wasn't... Yeah more aggression than that and she's got this discussion with sarah earlier on about how she just keeps paul happy by keeping him in bed yeah so i think that says their relationship is really just a that's, physical one that's that's a good point yeah but, but she, th- she got clearly there's something more from her side because absolutely she, yeah. yeah when when tina moves in hey yeah <laughs> tina yes <laughs> tina and terry played by camilla and kerry moore Look, I have to say, out of all the characters, there's not really much to them from me. I think they're no, the least yeah. sort of developed. I think there's Definitely. something nice about how the kids just sort of... Bump in- into them? Yeah, bump into them, invite them in. Yeah. Um, but we don't really get much from them. No. Terry especially, because she's the quieter twin. Yeah. And Tina is the openly promiscuous one. Very. Flirting with Ted, does not care. Flirting with Paul, would have gone all the way, but he has about of bad conscience so he goes off to find Samantha so then she go has Jimmy yeah uh, so you know again look we can say that says about her personality and it's what we see and don't see that tells us a lot that the girls are different yeah um, even Terry like calls her a slut <laughs> before she tries to get on her yeah. <laughs> on her bike so you know I guess you can read into it but I have to say out of all the characters in this film they're the least interesting for me yeah me too I agree yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Samantha herself. Mm. <laughs> yes. Judy Aronson. Gorgeous girl. Mm, very. Ab- absolutely gorgeous girl. Mm. And well performed as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Maybe maybe not as strong as some of the others, I yeah. think. But, but That's fair. But, but, like, still quite good. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like is that if we think about how a character is, how she is with Paul, she has a reputation... She's the sort of girl that traditionally in films like these, you know, would be slut shamed and would be maybe a bit bitchy and not really nice to the other girls. But she's a really nice, yeah. sweet, genuine girl. Yeah, I like it. And, and we've got that bit of complexity that whilst she might just be with Paul for fun, there's more because she gets jealous. Yeah. You know, is she just jealous because there's another pretty girl moving in on her turf? Or is it because she genuinely feels something for Paul? I mean, he reflects on how he's treated her because mm. he goes after her. So there has to be something there from both of them, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I but I, but I do like um, Judy Aronson in this. I think she, I think she's good. Mm. And I like her character. I like her character too. I do agree mm. with you. I really like the fact that she's... She's not really a nasty kind of girl. And no. I like the bonding and the relationship she has uh, with Sarah is really, really nice. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. You, and you sense that that Samantha and Sarah probably been friends for quite a while. A long while. time. Yeah. Yeah, because when you were mentioning how they're yin and yang, it just mm. kind of made me think of these are two girls who've probably been friends since primary school. Absolutely. And they've grown up together and they've, you know, come into their own as people mm. uh, together but they're both very different yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. i do like them yeah another couple <laughs> in this film uh-huh. are two boys yes <laughs> oh boy who 
almost have a similar yin and yang relationship, don't they? Very, very much so. But kind of more, Ooh. both of them are a little bit awkward and nerdy and geeky. <laughs> yeah. Kendall V, amazing and beautiful Crispin Glover mm-hmm. as Jimmy. Your yeah. thoughts? <laughs> I don't know where to start with that. <laughs> no, it was look for someone who was first introduced to him with Back to the Future, mm. like which came out the year after this. Yeah, like really nice to kind of see him in a like. I mean, yeah, he's still a little awkward, mm. still a little geeky. Like I think that's just inherently part of who Crispin Glover is. <laughs> yeah. It just comes through, and that's I think that's really. One of the reasons why he's so unique of a person and an actor. Yeah, he's, um, he's quite endearing. He is. Yeah. He's so endearing, yeah. and I love that. Um, so it was really nice to kind of see a slightly more uh, straight kind of performance mm. from him. Yeah. And yeah, like he, you know, he's he looked looked all right too. <laughs> he's a spunk. He's always he's, been. He's always been a spunk. Always been a spunk and still is. Yes, yes. Still is. He's aged very well. Yeah. But no, I really I really enjoyed his performance as Jimmy. I yeah, I really liked the way him and Ted mm. interacted mostly because <laughs> And we start on Ted because well, <laughs> I've got some things to say, but well, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. <laughs> we'll get to him. But yeah, Jimmy was just yeah, like you know, kind of similar to to Sarah mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, because he's also uh, you know, he, I mean, he's a bit more. I don't know what the right term is. But I mean, he's more, I guess, more open about the fact that he just wants to get laid. And, yeah, like, and he's he feels, just broken up with a girl. And he's broken up with a girl yeah. and he's feeling all sad about it and stuff. So like, but he's still, you're still rooting for him. Yeah, he's like, unsure of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's not being crass and rude, uh, really, about mm. any of it. And he's just kind of, you know, taking all the shit from Ted. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you know? and I like the way that he gives it back to Ted throughout yes, the film as absolutely. well. absolutely. Yeah. Like you, you do sense that... One doesn't have more power over the other. No. You know, like Ted gives Jimmy shit, but Jimmy knows that Ted is full of shit, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, I do have to say that there are quite a few classic moments in the final chapter. There's a lot of great effects and practical effects and kills and moments. Mm. But I think the one that is spoken about the most, Jimmy's dance. (laughs) Oh my god! And can I just—I know I'm—I'm going to reference a Marvel thing on this. Go for it. But I don't know if you how in touch with like memes you are, Wayne. Mm. But at the moment, we're you know in the middle of uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Mm. and there was an episode where there's this scene, and our heroes are at a kind of at a rave sort of situation. Okay. And one of the characters who's actually. And one of the villains sort of he does this really like like just like you know it's a Let's... it's a bit it's an audio medium so i don't, I don't communicate this well but he's just fist pumping really right. awkwardly <laughs> and it's become this kind of like online sensation cute so i was like oh they think that's good they haven't seen crispin <laughs> Dan- because if if, if if modern internet if that was introduced to tiktok it would go viral yep and you know oh that that is 100 percent 
Crispin, Crispin Glover. Glover. Yes, because I've seen him dance in other movies. <laughs> and like, caught the actresses dancing with. Yeah. Totally off guard. You can see it in her face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was like, what is it? I loved, I loved it. I loved everything about it. It's so him. It's yeah. so unique. Yes. It's, I've never really seen anyone move like that before. <laughs> You know, like the way he would just kind of flail about and then pose and then flail about and then pose again. I I adored it from start to finish. It does not go long enough, does it? No. It's absolutely no, amazing. When they turned the music off, I was like, oh, God damn it. I'm enjoying this. Absolutely. So during that scene, Crispin is actually dancing to ACDC. Oh, really? So a song Back in Black. Oh. But then the song Love is a Lie by Lion is what we end up okay, hearing. Sure. Yeah. So he's dancing to something probably more appropriate wanna, to the yeah. da- to music and dance. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there, is a, if there is any music on this earth in the history of music that no. really supports that dance. I don't think so. But I think that that's why it's brilliant. But yeah, yes, yeah. Um, Jimmy's dance is kind of like the number one thing everyone talks about. It's probably, about it's probably my favorite part in the whole movie. How could it not be? Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> It was just brilliant. so good. Like you can total. I think just from that scene alone, Crispin Glover got his career. Like, you know. Oh, it had to have been on his show reel. Yeah, yeah. It's just ah, oh, bless his heart. He's just a wonderful person. He is. He's gorgeous. Oh gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, you can't have one without the other. No. Lawrence Monison as Ted. Yeah. Teddy Bear. Teddy Bear. <laughs> Him and his computer. Yeah, yeah, computer, yeah. What did you think about Ted? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I I liked him less as the movie went along. <laughs> he's enjoyable, he's he's amusing. Mm. He Again, he, he's a good foil for Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, they bounce off well together. You can, they, you can tell they've been friends for a long time as well. Mm. Very good parallel between the girls. These two, yeah. in a lot of ways, which I, which is nice, but yeah, he just, I was so glad when he got killed. Ah, <laughs> uh, he was just pissing me. Like, I understand he was he was high at yeah. the end, like he'd been smoking weed, and that's that's fine. But the fact that he's just sitting there giggling at these old nudies, nudie yes. films from like the twenties or whatever, was just. It went on too long for me. <laughs> yeah, that's went, fair. Yeah, it went on a bit too long and he was just he just kept getting more and more obnoxious and I yeah, and I also enjoyed when 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 Jimmy came downstairs and was like <laughs> dead fuck, huh? <laughs> He's got, got the undies. Yeah, got the undies. Hello. <laughs> so yeah, I like that camaraderie between them as yeah. well. But yeah, he was like he was very good, Lawrence Monison, I I I will say. Yeah. He he gave it gave it his all. Well, most definitely gave it his all because he thought he would try a bit of method acting you see what and yes okay and decided that during his death scene and the lead up to it okay he should really be high <laughs> he actually got high actually on... got so that's him high. actually stoned and it was not a wise choice because he got Paranoid and had all of these um, oh ramifications of smoking too much weed. Oh, so it was my God. not a pleasant experience for him. Wow. He laughs about it now. If you watch him in interviews, okay, I'm sure he would. <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, now I, I, and now I suppose is the poster boy for don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. When they, I guess, okay, they must have gotten. 
either they use the same takes of him just sitting there laughing yeah. or, or they just must have, I don't know, they edited out a bunch of... Maybe. Yeah. Or he probably just controlled himself really well. It was like, yeah. oh gosh, I've got a job to do and <laughs> I need to control it. Yeah, yeah. That's, wow. Yeah. And it good, is... Good on him for giving it a go. <laughs> It's a good story. You're now. so supportive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't like his character. I am going to be supportive to the actor to make up for it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but it's interesting that you say about these sort of old skin flicks. Yeah. You know, and I think it's just really an excuse to have nudity in the movie. Like, I, more, more I than agree. Anything else. Because they do linger on it for it's a long time. quite gratuitous, yeah. Yeah, and like unnecessarily. Like, because... Yeah. He's having a laugh and, you know, he's not being very nice either. You know, he's referring to one of the women as a pig, you know. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it was, nah, Yeah. It's, didn't like it. It does, for me, that, that, those moments don't really sit so well. They don't necessarily work. I mean, if you're going to no. show one or two frames, because so we see what he's watching, yeah. he's fine. And the rest can just be reactions. But I think a, a bit of that could have been trimmed. Definitely. Um, I mean, look, whenever we have an external shot of the house, we do get the bottom story window, we can see the flickering light, mm. which mm-hmm. is a nice little effect. So we yeah. kind of, it gives us a bit more of geography of where everything is. Yeah, so yeah, so it's, yeah. it's cool. Like I think it, it fits in the film. It does. But I kind of agree that they probably show too much of that footage unnecessarily. Yeah. Similar to when we're at the morgue and Axel is watching the exercise yeah. video there. I was like, what even, what kind of exercise is that? Like that's, yeah. I was wondering if it was like if it's an actual thing or if it's something they actually got these girls to film for it because it just seemed very softcore pornographic yeah. in, a, in a way. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I agree. And it, for our younger listeners who don't remember a time before the internet where everything is accessible, yeah. this is what guys watched yeah. <laughs> to, 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 to get excited, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I've always found it a bit, you know, Yawn. You know what I mean? It's again, yeah. it just lingers a bit too long because it yeah. doesn't serve much of a purpose. It might say a bit about their characters, which again is fine. Yeah, yeah. But I think as an audience, we don't need to linger on it for that long. It just yeah. it doesn't work for me, I think. I agree. In a movie that is generally quite polished overall, I think, and the standards are quite high. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, a side note, fans of Police Academy and that franchise mm. might recognise Axel from that franchise. Oh. So that's Bruce Mellor who played Fackler, who oh. was the klutz in Police Academy. Oh. <laughs> and so this movie came out the same year, same as, Police, year yeah. as Police Academy yeah, as well. Yeah. Lisa Freeman plays the nurse mm. who Axel is trying to get with. Yes. Um, look, not the best of performances there, no. <laughs> really. But her name is Nurse Robbie Morgan. And oh. Robbie Morgan sounds familiar. Yes. It's the name of the actress who played Annie yes. in part one. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even click on that. I mean, I saw yeah. Morgan on her thing. Yes. That's Which awesome. Qu- quite sweet. Very yeah, sweet. Yeah, it's a nice little nod there, I think. I love that. Yeah, That's great. it's pretty cool. Yeah. So overall, I think we can agree that, you know, we've got some diverse characters here. Yes. And generally pretty solid performances. Yeah. Like across the board and a lot of them are quite consistent. Mm-hmm. So any behind the scenes dramas doesn't necessarily translate to the screen. Oh. Which is good yeah, <laughs> right that is good. we've got tight production here yeah but the production itself wasn't 
without some problems okay. and without some issues. Right. Um, one of the things, if we want to go back and talk about Sarah, Barbara Howard only agreed to do the movie if she didn't do nudity. Okay. And she was told, it's a Friday the 13th movie, there has to be nudity. And she said, I won't do it yeah. unless I have a body double. Fair enough. And so she was in the unique position of having a body double. So the shower scene with Doug, it's actually a body double. Ah. through that frosted glass it's a body double thing oh wow yeah okay um, and of course it was under the condition that she didn't tell any of the other actors that she was getting a body double because they wouldn't and yeah. i think that scene was filmed last <laughs> so wow. we'd sort of be saved okay. but look that's kind of a minor thing it didn't seem to really have any hostilities carry okay. over yep but one of the more interesting things i think that happened involved our man crispin glover oh okay Right. So early on in production, he actually halted the entire shoot. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. So the story goes that Crispin Glover had bought some toys and one of them was this yellow submarine and it got lost or dropped in the lake and oh. he refused to film until his toy submarine was found. Ooh, okay. So production was halted and you had the entire crew searching the lake for this toy yellow submarine. Oh my word. <laughs> so he could get back to work. Um, needless to say, it was found. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Crispin would not work until it was found. and That's yes. That's so interesting because I, I, I've never heard that story before, but I feel like I have heard stories in general regarding the ease of ability to work with him yes i don't yeah. think he's the easiest person to to work, work with. with yeah and it's probably one of the reasons why i like him so much because he still delivers these amazing performances yeah, yeah. but yeah i found that really interesting that is yeah. really fascinating yeah so he was 19 at the time of oh, uh, really? filming wow. yeah and um the film was released a week before his 20th birthday oh. but look, he did it for the money and i think People, especially back in the day, made these movies because they were like, I get my first feature film. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a Hollywood movie. I get to make some money. That's fair. Um, and then others are like, oh, I just need money. Yeah. <laughs> Paycheck Which, movies. Again, is fair. Yes. Um, so Joseph Zito, our director, had a few conflicts oh. with cast members. The most known one was with Judy Aronson, who played Samantha. So... Because of the show's budget, a lot of the actors had to perform their own stunts, right? Yeah. And there is that moment where she's on the boat and in the water. And mm -hmm. so that took a long time to film. It's the middle of the night. It's cold. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. water is freezing. Yeah. And she was really feeling the cold there to the point that she was in tears and oh, getting hypothermia. Honey. Yeah. Really? And the director refused to have her to let her out of the lake oh in my... between takes. Oh so my she God. got quite unwell. Um, so some will say he couldn't appreciate how cold she was. Yeah. Others will say, no, it's we've got a production schedule to keep, we're doing this. Yeah, right. So Depends who you listen to. Oh. But it got to the point that Ted White, Jason himself, mm. intervened and said, get her out of the lake or I quit. <laughs> and Ted White, again, a veteran who's been in the movies for about 40 years. Wow. 
advocated a lot for these actors. Oh, that's um, nice. But with Judy specifically was, yeah. I think, the biggest sort of confrontation. And I think that was one of the final straws mm. for Ted as well. So he and the director didn't really get along Yeah, okay. Um, through the process. But, yeah, that whole sequence was really uncomfortable for her. Um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, especially when you consider how little of it is left in the film. I right? know. Yeah, so that was, that was a thing that happened. Oh. And, again, having Ted White <laughs> involved, you've got your main bad guy there. And as we know, Ted's such a wonderful performer, an incredible stuntman. One of the other things that Ted wanted was when um, Doug dies in the shower, he wanted Peter Barden to have protection behind him for that stunt. Mm. Apparently, that wasn't a thing. He really got slammed into the wall. Oh, poor yeah. Guy. Like, thankfully, his skull wasn't really crushed. Well, but, no. you know, just in that moment. Yeah. So, again, having to do his own stunts, that was a thing. Ted White, as well, did not get along with Corey Feldman. Oh, really? Yes. So he considered Corey to be quite bratty. Is <laughs> his words. <laughs> Corey, in return, though, mm. says he was bratty, if you will, or his behavior was due to being treated poorly by the director. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he was acting out because of that. Yeah. And in the end, when Tommy is, you know, hacking Jason to bits, Corey's actually just attacking two sandbags. Yeah. But Corey says that while he was attacking the two sandbags, he was thinking of the director. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Joseph Zito, so he was like just pretending that was him. <laughs> wow, this jo- Joseph Zito is... Uh... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look, I'm trashing on the director a lot here, but I think um, with Joseph Zito is that, it, yes, he was making a slasher movie, but he wanted it to be of a high quality. Yeah. And I think from the very opening shot of his film, you know, it's a helicopter, it's this aerial view. Yeah. All of that already looks more expensive. Yeah, it does. You know, so there's new thoughts about how to film this. Mm. So he's put a lot of effort into it. Mm -hmm. So Eric Anderson said of Joseph Zito, he said, Joe's thing was that he truly didn't want this to come off as a cheap horror movie. A lot of care was taken in a lot of areas. Joe wanted what he wanted and we did it until he was happy with it. We were supposed to shoot for six weeks and we shot for 12. We went way over. It was because Joe was a perfectionist. He wasn't concerned so much with fulfilling the needs of those paying the bills as he was determined to make a good movie. I always admired that. And in the end, at least at that time, it was considered the ace of the series from a critical standpoint. Wow. So two sides to every story and not justifying poor behavior or mistreatment of actors. But I think we can sort of see it from multiple angles. Okay. But any hostilities behind the scenes for me, don't translate onto the screen. No, they don't. At all. Not at all. So, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting <laughs> production story yeah. there. And I'm sure there's probably a lot more stories involved of this film. But we pay our money at the box office for the kills and practical effects. We do. And we've got Tom Savini back. Yes, we do. Yay. And it shows. It does. Oh, my God. Absolutely shows. Yeah. So, Kendall, your favorite kill or practical effect? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I did really enjoy the the quick glance of Doug's head being kind of caved in by, by Jason's fist. Yeah. That was intense. That was very well done. 
Jimmy's demise was was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting it's like, where's the corkscrew? Oh, it's in my hand. <laughs> it's in my hand. And then yeah, getting sliced in the face. Basically. Yeah. Like that was very graphic. And then not only that, when we revisit him, he's nailed to a door. Yeah. And there's that quick scene of him of his hand getting ripped. Ripped. From yeah. The nail. Yeah. That was very well done. Very well done. And then yeah. The masterpiece, I think, of it was was Jason's mm. quote-unquote demise. Because yes. we all know he's still alive. <laughs> Somehow, even though his head was eviscerated. And, you know, he was hacked up with a machete. Uh, um, who knows if he's still alive? Who knows? who knows? Who knows? But I really enjoyed the... just I physically, like, recoiled a bit when that... When his, he kind of go His head falls through yeah and the machete goes up and like that was it was very impressive yeah 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 i agree with you 100 percent. doug's demise is my favorite of the victims yeah um i love how not only is his skull getting crushed the visual of it but the audio they use is mm. absolutely incredible mm-hmm. you can not only hear but feel the bones Crumbling yeah. to nothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lord. And I think especially because Doug is the pretty boy, yeah. attacking the face, face. Yeah. you know, makes it just this level, this extra level of menace. It. Yeah, it's yeah. so well done. Uh-huh. But of course, the number one practical effect is Jason's death. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it has to be because, yeah. you know, as I said, they really did intend this to be the final chapter. Mm-hmm. They wanted to kill off Jason. That's why Tom Savini came back because he's like, let's end this. And yeah, I think just the level of care and attention to detail in that is amazing. How sure. Jason's face contorts as he's going down. Yeah. Incredible, like, it's... you know, uh, remote control effects yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But again, if you're going to kill off your, your main bad person, yeah. your main baddie, um, <laughs> it has to be epic. It does. Yeah. And they, so. they achieved that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I think that also works in the film's favour and has done really well, unsurprisingly, Harry Mandrafini's score. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I think, Great. you know, we, we talked last time in terms of part three that in certain elements it was overused. Mm. I think it's perfectly used this oh, time it's, around. Oh, it's, it's great. Yeah. It really put me back in the world so well, mm. uh, especially taking me back a bit to the first film. Yeah. Very, 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 very similar score to the first one. And um, it's just kind of iconic in a way yeah a lot of it is and just the way that he uses sounds and real instruments as opposed to synthetic ones yeah you know uh and what if for whatever he's trying to achieve it's just yeah very very well done yeah i agree i absolutely agree mm-hmm. look we talked about jason copping it through the head yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah and you know a lot of things make that work it's the effects it's the yeah. score yeah. it's just Gosh, everything and everything. the build up to it. It's a wonderful payoff. Yeah, it is. Uh, not only for this film's, but because we've seen three other movies yeah. before this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so wonderfully rounded out. But it's not really the ending <laughs> of this movie. No, it's not. Kendra, what were your thoughts on the ending of this movie? Because our shift focuses more to Tommy does at the very end it does what do you reckon i really liked it and i'm so curious to find out if any of this Mm. plays a part in the next the next film Mm -hmm. 
because I literally have no idea either way. But yeah, no, I, I thought it was really, really, really good because like they're kind of, they're really, you know, hammering or setting it up. Yeah. You know, hammering at home, you know, you know, pounding at home, if you will, with a machete. He's transformed himself into Jason. Mm-hmm. And because, as we talked about earlier, Tommy is clearly a very creative mind and very, mm. you know, wise beyond his years. And so he may have a different kind of perspective, a different interpretation on things yeah. for a kid his age. So it's so not surprising to see the fact that he's, he, he, would, he would have looked at himself in the mirror as he was transforming and realized how not exactly 100% similar, but obviously very similar yeah. to, to young Jason. He did end up looking. And the fact that he lost, he loses himself yeah. when he's with the machete, he's going for it, you know, and he's, he's, he would have been well dead by, <laughs> by then, but he just keeps going and his sister's screaming and he's just, he's just screaming, die, die repeatedly. Absolutely. And, you know, and then with the, the, the doctor and saying that he's going to be fine. Like it's mm-hmm. all part of the way, you know, people react in these situations. It's normal. Yeah. And then, yeah, the little <laughs> almost Michael Jackson thriller glance at the camera. Very scary. Very. These I loved sort it. Of hollow eyes. Yeah. Looking like what's going on there. Yeah. I really, I really love those little kind of cliffhanger twists. Yeah. In these kinds of films. So I think, I think it was very effective. Absolutely. Uh, and it all, it all works for me. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. And so, yeah, it definitely does hint that, well, Jason's dead. We gotta have a new we antagonist, now have a right? New antagonist. Yeah. Uh, let's not forget that Friday the Thirteenth was always supposed to be an anthology series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the why the reason why they've had Jason for the last three movies is just because of the way things have panned out. You yeah, know? Just, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Well, well, it definitely leaves you guessing though whether Jason yeah. will return or not. Mm. Um, of course, you know we've got. <laughs> some insight now and hindsight of that well yes Jason still sticks around for mm. this series mm-hmm. but you're right it, it's an interesting nod into where the film series might go yeah and you know it is a bit of an open ending really because it, it leads for a sequel or at least a spin-off yeah somehow maybe with a different title or something yeah um, yeah yeah but I really like the idea of this anthology thing of like yeah you know Jason could become a moniker, uh, uh, just a, 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 fig, a figure that represents this killer and this evil yeah. in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone can take up that mantle yes. and put the mask and on. And it definitely hints that somebody will. Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah, it really absolutely. does. So the ending that we've got does have a, this sort of hint that Tommy might turn evil if we follow him, if yeah. the series decides to continue on with him. But there was an alternative ending. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, which was filmed... And clearly not used, <laughs> um, but also like the audio doesn't doesn't survive the oh. test of time. So there is footage of this alternate ending, but there's no audio. But on there it. is no audio oh, on it. That's a shame. So uh, what we have is Tommy killing Jason. So mm-hmm. we do have the die die. Mm-hmm. It flashes to white as as, it we, does. as we as we see it. Yeah, and we see Trish and Tommy asleep on their couch in the lounge room. Mm-hmm. Actually, at their feet is Rob, <laughs> because if we remember, Jason throws Rob through the lounge room window. Yeah, true. So he's still there on the floor. Yeah. They're so exhausted. Yeah. They hear ambulance sirens, mm-hmm. and they slowly wake up. And Trish goes to the window, sort of calling them over, 
and Tommy um, disappears. And I think to to go and get their attention, again, yeah. it's without audio, so it's a bit difficult to know where it's going. She notices water dripping from upstairs. Okay. So she goes upstairs to the bathroom, mm. and in the bathtub is her mother. So in the film, we don't actually see... Um, what happens no, no. to Mrs. Jarvis. No. We know she dies. She gives that brilliant reaction. Yeah, great. Um, we don't know what happens. But here we see that she is actually dead in the bathtub mm. of water. Mm-hmm. Um, Trish is devastated, calls out to her, picks her up. Aww. Once she sort of holds her, starts picking her up, mm-hmm. the mother's eyes flash open and they're just pure white. Oh. It's a bit of a jolt. Yeah. And then Jason appears behind Trish. Oh, God. <laughs> and then we snap to a hospital bed where Trish wakes up from her dream. Uh, <laughs> dream sequence. Another dream sequence. So yet okay. again, another nod. <laughs> because we've had the dream in part one. We've had the dream in part three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the dream in part four, the, but it wasn't meant to be. But it wasn't meant to be. I like the ending they kept as Me opposed too. to this alternative. I 100% agree. Whilst it's not a terrible ending, no. if they had it gone with it, it would have been fine yeah. because it keeps in theme with the friends. Exactly. Like, okay, another dream. Yeah. yeah. But I am glad they did something a little bit different. Yeah. Especially if you're touting this as your final chapter. Yes. To leave it on a cliffhanger of sorts. Yes. Like this is great. Absolutely. Because you're presenting a story whose arc is finished in terms of Jason and yeah. then you're leaving it open for somebody else. 100%. Which is, which is pretty cool. It's very effective. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, audiences thought so too. Mm-hmm. Um, so some stats because we, we love go. our stats. We love our stats. So the budget was $2.2 million. So it's pretty much double <laughs> the predecessor. Yeah. And its box office was $33 million domestically. That's pretty good. It grossed $11.1 million in its opening weekend. Oof. So it opened at number one. And it was the sixth highest number one ranking at the box office of the year. Oh. It placed number 26 on the list of the top grossing films of 1984. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. As of this recording, the film scores 6 out of 10 on IMDb, 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, Ooh. 33% on Metacritic, yep. and 92% of Google users gave it the thumbs up. Wow. So the fans love this. Yes. Two people who did not love this <laughs> back in the day <laughs> were the uh, kings of film critique, mm-hmm. Siskel and Evert. Yes. <laughs> An immoral and reprehensible piece of trash. Friday the 13th, the final chapter is 90 minutes of teenagers being strangled, stabbed, impaled, chopped up and mutilated. That's all this movie is, is just mindless bloody violence and just think of the message this film offers to its teenage audience the world is a totally evil place this movie says it'll kill you it doesn't matter what your dreams and hopes and ambitions are because you're going to wind up dead there is literally nothing else in this movie and the sickest thing is this isn't the final chapter that's just an advertising gimmick the ending clearly sets up a sequel and what i want to know is i wonder if they're going to be heartless and cynical enough to make the sequel because why not 
They've already taken the bucket to the cesspool four times for the sludge. You know, I got uh, as upset as you did. I don't know whether the, the, the teenagers, the message will be of this film that this, the world is hopeless out there because I think that anybody who sees this picture will see it either the way you did and mm -hmm. I did, which is that it's just a, a mayhem film, or they will think it's just a lark and just a fun. I don't think anyone's going to take this as a worldview picture. I really uh, don't. But wait I, a minute. See, the thing is they made the first one. Okay. I thought it was horrible. The hor first one was horrible. Then they made the second one. Yeah. Then they made the third one. And 3D. Then, then they made this one. By now, all it is is the teenagers go to Crystal Lake and they're killed. The film is literally about stabbing. In other words, if you like this picture, what you have liked, I believe, is the idea that someone will get a stick put through their body because mm -hmm. that's the essence of this movie. It's a terrible film. I think a much more interesting point is that the message that it sends out is not that this is the way the world is, but that now, now you've really got on the subject, which is that watching girls, and it's mostly girls mm -hmm. again, getting stuck mm -hmm. is entertainment. See, that's the, it's that's sick. the pornography. It's really sick. Kendall, what are your thoughts on Siskel and Abarts? Oh, I love <laughs> it. I, lo I love the savageness of it. It's so, like, especially from Ebert, like, he's yes. so impassioned oh by his feelings. Gosh, yes. And he just goes for the jungular straight away. He's like Jason, he wastes no time, he just kills them. Yeah, and the, the words he uses, the way he just says it, and just, like, he doesn't even get too worked up, and, like, in, in terms of his, like, expressions on his face yeah. or, or body language or anything like that. But just the things he says and the way he says them. <laughs> just everything. Yes. And, like, I... I, I <laughs> while I was watching the review, I went from <laughs> lounging back on the couch to sitting up. <laughs> sitting up straight, leaning towards the DV because of the things he was saying. It was yeah. just hysterical. I it, loved it. It's great how Gene uh, Siskel essentially tells him, like, I agree with you, but can you calm, calm down? down? Rain it in a bit. <laughs> calm your farm. Yeah. And I like that he says, you know, you're on a soapbox here. It's like, okay, yeah. relax. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I get why he's so outraged by it. Yes. I absolutely do. Um, but, um, but the whole thing about how he's like, he thinks teenagers are going to see this and think that the world is evil and yeah. out to get them and going to kill them. I think that's a bit of a... It, well, yeah, definitely A, to get up on a soapbox and make mm -hmm. that kind of a statement. That's But about a film like this, he's taking it way too seriously. Especially because to have, to support that opinion, yeah. you have to argue that these are the only films teenagers are watching. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or and it's like... That they're popular, yes. Yeah. But it's not the only thing they're watching. Yeah, yeah. Or if the, there's like... If they're not just watching Friday the 13th films, they're watching other movies that do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, he, I, you know, he doesn't present any evidence to the contrary because obviously, you know, they, it's not like a five-minute yeah. review. That's all they have time for it. And it's probably more than enough that they wanted to give <laughs> for it, I reckon. But, yeah, but the fact that he, he, he got... He did... I think he just... He just loathes this franchise so much that he's doing what he's doing and saying whatever he can to dissuade everyone from spending their hard-earned pennies on, you know? The people who made this movie ought to be ashamed of themselves. I love the quotes. The freaking they've already taken the bucket to the cesspool four times with a sponge. Chef's kiss. That's a that's a line. That's poetry. It is. That should be on the DVD box. It really <laughs> It should have been on the movie poster. It's, it's like that's your soundbite right there. That's how you sell this movie. Cesspool. Ooh. I love sludge. Um, yeah. But no, I really do like the fact that Cisco was able to kind of 
rein his emotions mm. in a bit, present his findings and be like, look, yes, it's a, it's, it's not a great movie. Yeah. But I, you know, but it's not, it's not trying to make, you know, change the minds of individuals. Yeah, absolutely. On any level. And, you know, but, you know, he does bring up points about how he thinks it's misogynistic mm. and because of how it's these teenage women specifically yeah. being, being murdered and shanked and chipped and yeah. split three ways from Sunday, you know, like it's, yeah. So he, yeah, he definitely has strong feelings about it as well. But yeah. He's able to stay a bit more level headed <laughs> for some reason. Whereas Ebert's just like, nah, nah. No, no, burn it. Literally, burn every reel you can find. <laughs> Show this to no one. You know, like this review is a fine example in understanding how Roger Ebert was the first, and I believe to date still only, person to win a Pulitzer Prize for film criticism. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, with, with lines about cesspools. What I... a, he's such a wonderful writer. Yeah, because in this gorgeous. one, you can tell from most of it, he's actually reading That makes spiel. sense, because I'm like, I don't know if anyone that eloquent could say stuff no. like that off the top of their head. And you know, he really wanted to express it, because if yeah. you watch enough Siskel and Ebert reviews, you can tell that they generally, besides when they discuss what the film is about their little voiceover you can tell it's sort of pre-recorded yeah, stuff which yeah, is yeah. again it's fine because you're reviewing the movie yeah but a lot of the time you can tell these guys are definitely not reading or looking at notes because yeah. they're talking over each other yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. so forth but it's off the cuff roger ebert was passionate mm. about expressing how much he hated this movie and its alleged message yeah. um, that he wanted to get it word perfect. Wow. And that he achieved. That he definitely achieved. Yes. Hats off to him. Yes. Look, wow. I disagree with Roger Ebert, but I'm going to give his review five stars. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Isn't that a good idea for a podcast? Like, reviewing Roger Ebert and, Sis- and Gene Siskel reviews. Like, Absolutely. Five oh stars God. all the time for five? me. Yeah. They're amazing. Yes. There is a reason why they're so iconic. Absolutely. Yeah. But look, Kendall, the scores that matter are ours. Yes. About Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Mm-hmm. Your score out of five. Oh, my score out of five. Well, yes, I really did enjoy this movie, this outing. It's, again, an improvement upon the, the predecessor. Still does leave a bit to be designed in certain parts, and I feel like they could really... I mean, these movies are only 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. I feel like you could you could write another 10 minutes worth of dialogue or, or you know, scenes mm. in there to beef it up a bit to make it, you know, kind of more of a... I don't know. Just improvement all around, I think. I don't know. But, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it, it mm-hmm. achieves what it sets <laughs> out to do. You know, Jason is large and in charge. The machete is now kicking around <laughs> Absolutely. as well. And yeah, it's just, you know, and they do different things in this film. Like the introduction of the family, the Jarvis family mm. is just wonderful. A nice change of the dynamic yeah. with our characters. And again, as we said, the way that the dialogue is used to develop the characters mm. is super well done. And yeah, it really makes you care more, I think, about these these individuals than maybe we have uh, in previous uh, iterations, I think. So, yeah, and the kills are inventive as always. And just, yeah, having Tom Savini come back, yeah. just, yeah, inspired. He's, yeah, a very talented individual. So, yeah, so if I had to rate 
Uh, Friday the 13th part 4 the final chapter I think I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5 okay yeah Yeah. well (laughs) I really like this movie I think it's really solid I think it's one of the better sequels I think it looks more polished Mm. again we discussed that there were some behind the scenes issues Mm. Joseph Zito for better or worse had really high standards yeah taking all of that aside because we're reviewing the film not the expanded story behind it. Yes. His high standards pay off here. He's got a really good team, a a beautiful cast of young talent, and a lot of them are really talented. Mm. Um, You know, some didn't really go on to do much, unfortunately. Others, we still know their names now, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's got a wonderful final girl in Kimberly Beck. Mm -hmm. Absolutely lovely. Yeah. Great casting of Corey Feldman, who Mm -hmm. originally they thought was too small. Oh. To be playing Tommy. Okay. <laughs> you know, they didn't want him falling over with a machete. <laughs> <laughs> but brilliantly cast because yes. it's Corey Feldman. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a win. We've got one of the greatest dancers in cinematic history. <laughs> if not the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> Courtesy of Crispin Glover, yeah. uh, which I absolutely adore. I love his dynamics with Lawrence Monison. I think. It's mm. really played out well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their dialogue involving being a dead fuck and the computer was made up by them. Oh. It's kind of, and it, this lends nice. to your believability Absolute, that these I was are. Say. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, I mean, I doubt that they're besties <laughs> in real life or anything, but yeah. there was some work and effort put into these characters mm. and I think really just wanting to have ownership of these characters and having fun with it so I think that the dynamics between the characters is the way it is because I feel like the cast really respected one another and probably look had to really band together mm-hmm. to be supportive of one another and I think it shows in the final product mm. I like the set design I love the driver's home it is absolutely beautiful yeah, it's gorgeous. it has what Every horror movie should have a home with huge windows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, hey, if you live on the beautiful lake, why wouldn't you have those huge windows, right? Oh, yeah. You want, you want to take in that view. Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way the, the characters interact with one another. I like the way this fits into the overall Friday the 13th story. I think the film benefits greatly by having Tom Savini back into the franchise Mm. because at the end of the day these films are about the effects are about the gags we do want good strong characters we want a good story these elevate the film right but we do part with our money at the box office for the gags for the effects and none of them disappoint they all look amazing Mm -hmm. and I think that this is probably the first Friday the 13th film where all the kills are just absolutely top notch like consistently on par and they just escalate and escalate overall this is a really entertaining movie I really enjoy it and again I think it benefits by just doing different things by having a family in the center of this story and by having a final boy and a final girl and also by trying to mix it up by having that ending a little bit open (laughs) for us and you know what if they never made another friday the 13th movie after this if this really was the final Mm. chapter Mm -hmm. i think we'd be okay with it Uh, yeah it's a really neat 
mm-hmm. little ending and yeah. you can sort of cool. make up your own mind about what happens with, with Tommy, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I thoroughly enjoy Friday the 13th, the final chapter. It's one of the better films and one of the better sequels as well. So four stars from me. Ooh, nice. <laughs> so... Kendall, yes. thank you for oh, thank you joining again. me yet again Yes, for a fearsome Friday. Always a, a pleasure to not be scared alone. Yes, it's nice <laughs> to have somebody with me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, it's called the final chapter, but... You and I both know that it isn't. Mm. Um, in his review, Roger Ebert said it was just a marketing gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in hindsight, you could argue it was. But no, they look they legitimately wanted to end it. Mm. Um, but money talks. Money talks. <laughs> this movie made a lot of money. So where to from here, yeah? Mm. Well, the answer is... One of the most contentious Friday the 13th films in the franchise. Oh, no. So the next installment absolutely divides fans to the point that some won't even acknowledge it. Oh, my God. I can't wait. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the next installment. But until then... I've been Wayne Cellini. (laughs) I've been Kendall Richardson. And you've just experienced Fred Fred Watch. Watch. Time to go to Elm Street. (laughs) Blooper reel. This installment of the Friday the 13th franchise was indeed intended to be the final chapter. Producer Frank Menz. The theatrical trailer reminded us that... I'm stumbling. No, you're right. (laughs) Wow, I love this. Go, go, go. (laughs) Um, Let me me just get the uh, cast down here. Oh, do we have the cast? We do. That doesn't seem to be an option for them. The house next But, you know, you can't have one without the other. Lawrence Monson. Monson? Monson, thank you. Monson. Extended scene. Two people who did not love this <laughs> back in the day <laughs> were the uh, kings of film critique, mm-hmm. Siskel and Ebert. Yes. <laughs> Our next movie is Friday the 13th, the final chapter, an immoral and reprehensible piece of trash that sold more tickets on its opening weekend than any other movie so far in 1984. And that is a very, very depressing commentary. It really makes me sad to think of all those moviegoers spending four and a half, five bucks, most of them teenage kids, sitting there watching this sad, cynical, depressing movie. Now, needless to say, Paramount Studios, the distributor of this film, didn't authorize any clips of the film for use on television. They like to make the money, but maybe they're a little bit ashamed of the movie. They like to hide it from critics like ourselves. But here are some scenes from the coming attractions trailer showing that the fourth Friday the 13th movie is just a cynical retread of the first three. Three times before, you have felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for. 
Friday, the 13th, the final chapter. Jason is back. He moves like a shadow. Dark and silent. Sorry, you changed your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Where the hell's the corkscrew? He simply, mindlessly, mercilessly, kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Yeah, real great. Uh, Jason, you can't hear him, you can't see him, he hardly even breathes. He's the latest word in leading men from the geniuses at Paramount Pictures. You get the idea. Friday the 13th, the final chapter is 90 minutes of teenagers being strangled, stabbed, impaled, chopped up, and mutilated. That's all this movie is. It's just mindless, bloody violence. And just think of the message this film offers to its teenage audience. The world is a totally evil place, this movie says. It'll kill you. It doesn't matter what your dreams and hopes and ambitions are. It doesn't matter if you have a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend or you've got plans for the future. You can forget those plans because you're going to wind up dead. There is literally nothing else in this movie. And the sickest thing is, this isn't the final chapter. That's just an advertising gimmick. The ending clearly sets up a sequel. And what I want to know is, I wonder if they're going to be heartless and cynical enough to make the sequel, because why not? They've already taken the bucket to the cesspool four times for this sludge. I think the people who made this, who made this movie ought to be ashamed of themselves, and that's what I think, Gene. No. And I'm going to vote no. <laughs> I had a feeling you might. Uh, I got uh, as upset as you did. I don't know whether the, the, the teenagers, the message will be of this film that this, the world is hopeless out there because I think that anybody who sees this picture will see it either the way you did and mm -hmm. I did, which is that it's just a, a mayhem film. You might as well watch car accidents mm -hmm. edited together. Or they will think it's just a lark and just a fun. I don't think anyone's going to take this as a worldview picture. I really uh, don't. But wait I, a minute. See, the thing is they made the first one. Okay. I thought it was horrible. The hor first one was horrible. Then they made the second one. Yeah. Then they made the third one. And 3D. Then, what, then they made this one. By now, all it is is the teenagers go to Crystal Lake and they're killed. Roger, we don't I have mean, a dispute about the film. The only point that I make is because you got, have you seen you all got, four of them? What are they what, trying to tell you? No, no. Well, they're trying to give kids as a roller coaster ride, and instead of uh, the, th the thing of falling uh, off the roller coaster, it's uh -huh. will you get will you get stabbed in some way? Yeah, or will you get disemboweled no, and right. eviscerated? It's a terrible film. I'm just holding you back a okay. little bit from the, uh, what sounds a little bit soapboxy in terms of kids are going to take this as this is the way the world is. I don't think they'll do that. But what I am saying is this, that the film is literally about stabbing. In other words, if you like this picture, what you have liked, I believe, is the idea that someone will get a stick put through their body because mm -hmm. that's the essence of this movie. Well, the no, surprise I, is, it's not surprising. I uh, did probably sound a little soapboxy, but I'll tell you, I'm not saying the kids are going to believe it. I'm saying this is what the message is in the movie. Now, I sat in a theater, mm -hmm. and I saw this with some kids, yeah. and they were, I, you watch them coming in. It's an R-rated picture. That means most of the people will be under 17. They're 13, they're of 12, course. they're 14. Okay. It's garbage. They're coming in. They're sitting there for two hours. This is supposed to be fun. They're told it's fun. They see it advertised on television. It did a lot of okay. business. Their older brothers and sisters went okay. to see it. And what do they see for two hours? Just Cruel. cynical it's terrible. It's terrible. It's a terrible film. I think a much more interesting point is that the message that it sends out is not that this is the way the world is, but that now, now you've really got on the subject, which is that watching girls, and it's mostly girls mm -hmm. again, getting stuck mm -hmm. is entertainment. See, that's the it's that's sick. the pornography. It's really sick. That 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 this is legitimate entertainment too. That you can go to a theater. And the movie and pay for doubled it. its money in its first weekend. Okay. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs>
<laughs> so just, you know, some of the things these guys had to say about them. <laughs> Sad and cynical, depressing movie and that watching girls getting stuck is entertainment. That's the pornography of yeah. this movie, said Siskel. Yeah. Kendall, what are your thoughts on Siskel and Ebert's oh, review? Love I, love, I love the savageness of it. Extended scene. I've been a Wayne Stellini. <laughs> I've been a Kendall Richardson. And you've just experienced Fred, Fred Watch. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to even attempt to do Phillips theme. No, we don't do that. Phil, Phil, Phil's theme is, is, is Phillips and Phillips Absolutely. Alone. Yes. <laughs> and scene together? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. And scene. <laughs> Time to go to Elm Street. <laughs> yep. I'm very excited. Alrighty, we're packing our Crystal Lake bags and yep. heading into the suburbs. Heading to the suburbs now. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. Get to see Johnny Depp get murdered now. <laughs> <laughs> You're evil. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the only thing about that movie I know. Yes. He's in it and he dies. <laughs>